Welcome to C3 Wellington. We're a community on a mission to live, love, and lead like Jesus. For more information about C3 Wellington and to find out about upcoming events and services, visit our website, c3wellington.com. We're so glad you're joining us for this message. We pray it impacts you today. All right, all right, all right. How are we going, everybody? Are we good? Are you guys ready for the very last message in our On Repeats? series this morning. This is, I believe, message number seven. I think it's seven. I'm getting a nod from Michael. I think this is message number seven. Uh, It's been great camping out in this uh, series and doing exactly what it says and just repeating things that matter to us as a church, as a community, Uh, the vision God's spoken over us and and the kind of culture and people we want to be as we figure out what it means to be the the church and the people of God here in 2021, here in Lower Hutt and beyond. So this is our last message from this series, and uh, it's, a fitting, it's a fitting title on repeat, because this message I have preached in 2017, and I've also preached it in 2019, and now in 2021, I'm also going to preach it, and so we're definitely on repeating, repeating here. Uh, disclaimer though, every time I've preached this, it's been a two-part message, and this morning, because I believe in you, and I believe in myself, we're going to try and do this in one. Are you, are you ready to drink from the fire hydrant this morning? From the Word of God, that's what it's going to feel like. It's going to come at you like a steam train. But I'm looking at the clock, and I'm thinking 12 o'clock. That's 33 minutes. We're going to do it. Um, so let me pray, because we're going to need it. Father God, we thank you so much for our time we have this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm calling it the next 33 minutes. Lord, we thank you for the time we have together. And God, it is my heart that we would not just hear words this morning. We don't need more words. We don't need more knowledge. Uh, we want transformation, we want revelation, we want something that's going to shift something in our spirit, we want something that's going to bring clarity to our steps, God. We want to be shifted and moved and, uh, and just drawn into what it is that you're calling us to do, the steps that you're calling us to take, and then we might feel a sense of united vision this morning as a church. And, that, and that, to that end, Jesus, we glorify you, we worship you, and we pray in your name, and everybody said... Amen. Let me see you soon. We're going to be in Nehemiah this morning, the book of Nehemiah. I love the story of Nehemiah, and the name of this message is Rise and Build. And it's an interesting title that because if, you know, if you've been around C3 churches, you'll know that one of the things that C3 churches often do, normally led by C3 Auckland, is that every year they have a Rise and Build campaign. It is a fundraising initiative, a capital raising initiative to do things outside of the normal budget of the church. This message is not about raising capital or campaigning for finances. It is about us rising and build, rising together as a church and building what God's called us to build here in this city and beyond. Amen. And I think Nehemiah is a great example of someone that has a passion for a cause and goes about pulling people into that passion and cause and seeing something significant happen. And so let's, uh, let me set the scene. So Nehemiah, he was an Israelite, and he was in captivity. Um, he was taken off with a lot of other Israelites into captivity. And you find him, this Israelite, as the cupbearer to the king Artaxerxes, who was the great king of Persia. And so Persia is now ruling the known world. They are in uh, in in, in rule, and this king, Artaxerxes, uh, was the ruler of that, of that kingdom, and Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. It's a very trusted position that he had, right? Uh, he would have to try things before the king would eat, drink of them. So it's not only a trusted position, it's also can be a, it's a dangerous position. I wonder how many cupbearers had a very short tenure as cupbearers. Uh, 
anyway, this is where we find Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, in his time in captivity, serving the king of Persia, he heard about his home. He heard about Jerusalem. He heard about his nation of Israel and what had happened uh, to that nation. And, and uh, he heard that the great city Jerusalem, had, the walls had been torn down and it had been ransacked. And, uh, and something happened in the heart of Nehemiah in that moment. He... he, he he broke, uh, he broke down. He felt the strong burden and call. He, he was so overwhelmed about the, the, the city that had been broken and torn down, and, and he was moved. Uh, let, me, let me read it to you here. This is Nehemiah 1, chapter 1, 1 to 4. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev. Everyone say, say Chislev. In the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I had heard these words, Nehemiah said, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. In the month of Chislev, he received word of the city of Jerusalem and of the people, and he, and he was moved. He was moved with sadness to weeping and mourning for the city, this once great city, the once the once uh, jewel of the the people where the temple was and where where the people would gather, and it was the, the centerpiece of their nation. And walls were significant, and when a city's walls were torn, torn down, it was like removing the very essence of that city. Uh, its protection was gone, and, 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 and there was a moving in Nehemiah's heart. However, we don't find out. He doesn't have any opportunity. He's stuck in a position where he's moved to do something, but he can do nothing about it, right? He's stuck in this position where he's moved by God. He's, like, he's mourning, he's weeping, he's got this passion, this burden for a city of Jerusalem, yet he's stuck in a place of captivity with no ability to do anything about it. And we see in Nehemiah 2 verse 1, it says this, it says, In the month of Nisan, say Nisan, Pulsar, don't say that. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Okay, so we're about to see in this chapter 2 an interaction between Artaxerxes and Nehemiah. But there was a time between Chislev and Nisan where he was felt like there was, there was, there was, he was powerless. He was burdened but powerless. It felt that that was the situation. There was a four-month period. Just so that, I'm just educating you. That was four months because we don't call it Chislev and we don't call it Nisan. It was, it was December. You got it. Look at this guy, eh? Look at this guy. And, and, uh, and so there was four months where he was sitting burdening. And so I just want to talk to you the very first point as we, as we understand what it means to rise and build. I want to talk about this, the in-between. The in-between. So I really believe that God is burdening each one of us with a call and a purpose, right? Whether or not you've found that call and purpose right now and you're feeling a sense of burden now or whether it's, it's going to come as we, as we continue forward in our journey with God. But God has given you a purpose and a passion. I love Ephesians chapter 2 and it says that, uh, that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that you should walk in them. You're created for Him. You've got a purpose and a plan on your life to make a spiritual difference in the lives of other people. But you have a purpose, and, and maybe you felt a sense of burden for something, but you felt like Nehemiah, like you've got a burden, but it's like, I know A, but I don't know how to, I know A and Z, but I don't know the steps between it. How do I get from A to Z? And you felt in a sense like Nehemiah, kind of powerless. So I just want to say that God does His best work in the in-between. 
God does his best work in the in-between. Nehemiah was burdened. He wept. He prayed. He fasted. Then he waited. <laughs> he waited. He had no choice. Sometimes we feel like we have no choice, but God's up to something. Come on, this is the divine wait, I like to call it, the in-between. You know that the definition of passion is to suffer? So when you, when you hear the movie, The Passion of the Christ, it's, it's the suffering. It's passion allows us the willingness to suffer for the things of God. Passion is so important. And I feel like sometimes we've got to be so careful that in the in-between, we don't lose our passion. We don't lose our fire. We don't lose our sense of, of man, I'm God, I'm sold out for this thing you call me to do. That four-month period was a divine, was a wait for a divine opportunity to present itself. And like I said, we can find ourselves in that in-between, carrying a burden, a passion, a call, yet it can feel like there is no way to fulfill it. We wonder if it'll ever happen. And God, like I said, He does His best work in the in-between. Here's what I want to say to you. He is aligning, arranging, and positioning and preparing you. But this is the one thing I don't know we quite get. He is aligning, He is arranging, and He's positioning and preparing others. Maybe, just maybe, God is waiting and allowing the situation of someone else so that the intersection of time is perfect. Do you know what I'm saying? But here's one thing that all of it has in common. It will come to pass. I wonder how many people quit in the in-between. I wonder how many people walk away, pull away, allow the, put, the, put the, the vision, the call on the shelf, decide to walk away from it, to take a second, to take second best, you know? I wonder how many people like Esau sold their rights, sold their, their future for a bowl of stew. How many times can we walk away in a place of the in-between? I just want to call you out to say, trust God. Don't quit. Hang in there. God is arranging. God is faithful. He will bring it to pass. Let me read you Hebrews 10 verse 23. Let us hold fast the conviction of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. He is faithful. Hold on to the promises of God for you. If you let them go, pick them up again. Pick them up again. This church goes forward on the back of the vision God has put on your life and mine. We're called. We're chosen. He's equipping us and preparing us. Don't lose faith and passion in the in-between. So we find we go back to this month of Nisan, four months after he'd been burdened and praying and fasting. We pick up the story. So he says this in verse one, I've never been sad in the king's presence, but this time he was sad. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. You don't want to bring sadness into the presence of the king. He doesn't need any joy germs in his presence. He ain't too keen about you bringing down the whole court right now. He's really risking it, letting his emotions be seen in this moment. But God's up to something. He was overwhelmed with it. He couldn't stop it. Who would have thought in the moment of despair and burden and prayer and this whole thing like dropping his bottom lip and just being overwhelmed? That is going to be the very vehicle God uses to bring us. Isn't this interesting? God can use all things, can't he? So amazing. And so in this moment, faith rises in Nehemiah. And he says, I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? <laughs> it's a very important question. What are you requesting? Hmm. 
when we're praying and we're crying out for God and, and we say, would you move? And God asks you this question, what are you requesting? Isn't that powerful? So I pray to the God of heaven and said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servants have found favor in your, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? Answering, <laughs> answering it with more questions. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. This guy's getting some bold courage now, eh? Hey, oh, hey, before you go, can I also have this? And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Thank you, Jesus, that I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me with his officers of, uh, and his, of his army and his horsemen. I love this. Don't you love this? It's something that's so passionate on my heart. Nobody holds the keys to your future. No person holds your future in their hands. God holds your future in His hands. And God will, in His perfect time, He can create a pathway where there seems no pathway. He can turn it. He can turn a situation. He can turn your boss's heart around. Your a person. He can do any. He can make it happen. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is beyond God. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. We might be facing a situation right now that looks pretty dire in, in, in our nation across the globe where we've got this disease running rampant, this virus and all sorts of things. I'm just saying that there's nothing beyond God. Nothing is beyond God. So my second point, my first one was the in-between. My second point is this, letters from the king. Letters from the king. Yes, I'm preaching my way out of this message series this morning. Going out <laughs> with a hiss and a roar. Letters from the king. Come on. Who knows? We don't need good ideas. I like that. It's exactly right. We need God ideas. We need letters from the king. I'm not interested in trying to suss out what blueprint we should have for this church by looking to see what other churches are doing. I mean, we can be inspired and take inspiration, and so we should. It's awesome to be inspired and encouraged. But what God is moving and doing throughout the world, we're not in some sort of vacuum uh, detached from it. We're part of the church, capital C. But God has got a plan and a purpose for this church. And God has spoken stuff over this church. And we don't need to come up with some good ideas. We need God ideas. We need letters from the king. We need to understand that when we have letters from the king, we walk in an authority. We walk in an authority. Artaxerxes was the most powerful man alive, but that is nothing in comparison to the power and authority of God. And Nehemiah drew courage from the authority of God. So God in December 20, 2015 gave us a vision for four churches. That's before we even planted. We have letters from the king. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when. I don't know the next day. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know if, if Nehemiah knew how the heck he's going to do fix this city. He's one guy. Like, it seems like a pretty big undertaking, right? But he just started by going, look, right, <laughs> I know that you can provide. And he found provision because he had a letter from the king. I'm I, 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 we are called. Like, that vision that God gave us on Mount Coco or uh, 
the vision of Mount Coco. Keys were given to us. That's the, 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 Jesus stood and gave us keys. He said, I'm giving you the keys to the city. Keys represent access and authority. We need to, again, understand the authority we walk in. Well, God, what has God spoken over your life? What are the promises of God for you? Well, we need to pick up vision again, pick up the letters from the king again. Carry on. Let us rise and build. Nehemiah 2 verses 18. And I told them of the hand of my God. This is interesting. I'm just going to stop there. When uh, he, he, and so this is interesting. He asked the king for letters of provision. And when he, when he got to the keeper of the forest, Asaph, he said, I, I'm, I'm here. I want the wood. And he's like, you know, who do you think you are? I'm not giving you anything. He, was, he, he came up against opposition. And he's like, you ain't taking any. And he said, nah, excuse me. Gave him the letter. And he's like, I have to give it to you. So powerful, right? So, so powerful. Anyway, carry forward. Nehemiah 2 verse 18. And I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good. This is okay. Nehemiah has now arrived at Jerusalem. He's now arrived. He's got a whole bunch of stuff in tow with him. He's come with some goodies. He's been to placemakers. He's been to carters. He's been to bunnies. He's loaded up with some timber. And, he's, and he turns and he says, As I told them of the hand of my God that has been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, so he shares the vision with the people of Jerusalem. He gathers the crowd, he said, and he shares of what the burden and, and that the king has released him, and the king has released him with provision and, and supply. And they said, the people said, let us rise up and build. And so it says they strengthen their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah said, I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me. So Nehemiah shared the vision. He shared his passion. He shared his burden. I think it's so critical that we never lose sight of our calling. It's, I think one of the hardest things about uh, I think one of the hardest things about the pastoring journey, if I can just be, can I be honest? Yeah, I think it's discouragement. I think discouragement is the hardest thing to deal with. Look, uh, I imagine for some it's uh, the shaking, the shaking the call. Like, for some, it might be that they doubt. There might be doubt. Doubt might be the hardest thing to deal with. Like, they wake up, am I really called to it? Am I really, you know, and that, that doubt can creep in. Like, we don't have a doubt because it was a stupid, miraculous calling. Not stupid, but you know what I'm saying? It was a miraculous calling. Like, there is no doubt. I mean, it was so damn miraculous being up on that and seeing that rock. And, like, we know that we know that we know. So if, if, we, if, we, were, if we were to walk away from this, it's not because we didn't know that we were called. Right? I'm sure some people can find there would be doubt there. But then the hardest thing is discouragement. It's dealing with discouragement. It's, it's, just, it's just a challenge. Uh, the second thing I would suggest, and it would be loneliness. It can be lonely. And I, I've, I've spoken to other pastors, and, that's, and look, this is not trying to get empathy or sympathy or, you know, but I'm just saying, this is part of, part of the leadership journey. There can be a loneliness attached to it. And so those are the, challenge, are the challenging things. But we need to stay... And so I think one of the things that combats things like discouragement and a feeling of loneliness, well, first of all, the presence of God overcomes loneliness for sure, right? But I feel that the, most, the thing that to, to, to wage war against discouragement is keeping faithful to the vision, to see the vision, to keep the vision in front of us, to keep the vision of what God's called us to do and what God's called you to do in front of us. It, 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 is, the, it is the antidote to everything that the enemy wants to do to try and keep us off our path, to keep us off our course, 
And so it's important that we share it, speak about it, and talk about it, hence this message series that we're in. But it's not just about the vision that God's given us. It's also about a vision to release others into what God's put in their life, right? You see, there's something that happens in this moment where they, the people are going, they're going, okay, let us rise and build. Now, Nehemiah is carrying this vision, but the vision is not for Nehemiah. The vision is for the city of Jerusalem. The vision is for the glory of God. The vision isn't at all, what, what does Nehemiah get out of this, right? He's not, he's not benefit, he's coming because he's burdened by God to do something significant for God. And people get caught up in that. But in their getting caught up with it, all of a sudden it's releasing stuff in other people. As, and so people start to rise up, and as they start to get involved, all of a sudden, taking a step into supporting someone's vision is a surefire way to start to find the vision on your life. This is the way that God operates. As you come in and you support a vision, God releases clarity and purpose over your world. Supporting and building someone else's vision releases your personal vision. I believe it 100%. You can ask anyone that <laughs> anyone in any position of leadership or influence, they didn't arrive there in a bubble just because they, you know, God always has a, has a, has a, has a way of operating, a rhythm that He calls us in to build as He wants to work out of us what He's called us to do. They said, let us rise and build. So the people caught the vision and took responsibility and ownership. Isn't that amazing? They strengthened their hands for the good work. See the language here. The wall wouldn't build itself, would it? Or one man wouldn't have built the wall. I mean, he'd still be going today if we tried. <laughs> Poor Nehemiah. Imagine that guy, right? It wouldn't, wouldn't have happened, right? Each person needed to play their part. In the next few chapters of Nehemiah, there are 50 people in households named, plus many other groups probably that were there that weren't named, to help rebuild the wall. In chapter 3, you see these 50 different people actually named. But I want to, can I just give you something that stand out to me? Because I, I just think this is amazing. Because I think sometimes we've, I, I just want to shoot down this idea and this concept that it's all about like, you know, uh, what I need to do is have an have a, have a outlet for the gift on my life. Now, I think that's good, but that's not an excuse to not build. It's not, it's not an out to not build. If there's not an avenue right now, maybe God's aligning and letting things in the future, but there's not an out to not build. And so this is what, what catches when there's vision and people get caught up in it. It's crazy who came out with a hammer. and a <laughs> It's crazy. Let's have a look. This is uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Next to Uziel, the son of Harahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored as far as the broad wall. Goldsmiths and perfumers were building next to each other. I'm going to say it one more time, perfumers, okay? All right. <laughs> I'm just saying that there was something. Now, what are they doing trying to build a wall? But they got caught up in something, and they're like, I'm going to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this. God is looking for that heart. That kind of, I, I'm here to build. I'm here to do something significant. Where can I go? Um, you smell great. Why don't you, <laughs> you know, you smell, <laughs> you smell great. What is it, Calvin Klein? Or, they got caught up and they, and, they, and they wanted to be a part of it. Okay, so goldsmiths and perfumers. It says next to him, this is verse 12, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. 
Come on. Shalom and his daughters are building. The ladies are getting into the action. Thank you, Jesus. Come on. Who knows that we need godly women to rise up and build the house of God? Amen. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. And I'm just saying, this might have been a weird thing nowadays. Well, great. But back then, I don't know. It might have been a bit weird. These ladies on the, on the tools building. I don't know. I don't know the culture. I don't really know the culture and the customs, but I do know that through this time, there was some, it was, it was very, it was very challenging, I think, to be female, you know, in that society. Yet there was a vision that happened and it was all hands to the pump and this guy and his daughters are out there building the wall. Come on, I, I love the fact that C3 uh, has a platform for ladies to rise up for all that God has put on their lives to come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen to that. Verse 5. Yeah, come on. Amen. Woo! <laughs> Woo! And <laughs> verse 5. And next to, the, and next to them, uh, Tecotes repaired. But their nobles would not stoop down to serve their Lord. Hmm. So there were some that would not stoop to serve the Lord. If you're too big to serve... You're too small to lead. It was not beyond Jesus to stoop. Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Romans 12, 16 says, live happily together in a spirit of harmony and be as mindful of another's worth as you are of your own. Don't live with a lofty mindset thinking you are too important to serve others, but be willing to do menial tasks and identify with those who are humbly minded. Be willing to do menial tasks. The word of God calls us. But I've got this gift in my life and I just need a platform and an outlet for it. Be willing to do menial tasks. But you know, I've just be willing to do menial tasks. God is much interested in character. In fact, maybe for that gift Maybe for the platform to support the gift, character needs to be deepened, strengthened, widened. And it happens this way. This is the way that, this is the way it happens. I don't know any other way. I don't know any other, any other pathway. All right, let's carry on. It says this in verse 14. I'm gonna, these are some great names here, guys. Malkijah, the son of Reshab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarim, repaired the dung gate. Poor guy. <laughs> Some people get the dungate. Hey. Shalom, the son of Kolhosa, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. Go on, you Shalom. After him, Nehemiah, a different Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of the half district of Bethzur, repaired to the point opposite the tomb of David. All right. So you've got some that are too... too Important to stoop down, but here you've got three rulers of districts picking up their tools and building with the community. Together, everyone playing their part. They saw the vision come to pass. Together, unified by vision and purpose, they rose and they built. Come on, church, let us rise and build. Got one more point before we close. And if you've got a track, or actually, no, we don't need a track. We've got the track man himself. Come on, we encourage Troy as he comes. Yes. Um, my last point is sword and trowel, sword and trowel, because who knows there's always going to be opposition to what God's called us to build, right? 
If we're not fighting opposition, then maybe we're not doing something right. It's a little bit of the way it goes. Opposition is par for the course. Let me read to you Nehemiah 2 verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they heard of the wall getting built, they jeered at us, despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? <laughs> whenever the people of God rise up, whenever the kingdom of God advances, there is going to be opposition. There's, some sad, there's a sad thing in this though, right? The sad thing is this, that Sambalat was a Moabite who's the enemy of Israel. Okay, so Moabites were always the enemy of Israel. So there was always gonna be an opposition coming from this Moabite. But Tobiah, the Ammonite, was a Jewish servant. He was a Jew. (laughs) He was against his own people. So I'm just saying opposition can come from both outside and inside the family of God. It happens. It happens. Two different words from just changing the suffix. Provision, division. The suffix pro means to advance, to take care of, and to add to. To advance the vision, to take care of the vision, to add to the vision. The suffix die means to split or two. Two visions. A diminishing, a reduction. Let's be those that are going to be pro the vision of the house, pro the plans and purposes of God, pro the, the, the purpose of God in other people's lives, coming up, rising up, being unearthed. Be pro what God is doing. Be pro the vision. And when we're pro the vision, we take care of it. We add to it. We advance it. We're those people. Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. Confusion is the, is the weapon of the enemy. God is not a God of confusion. God brings clarity and purpose, direction and confidence. He brings peace in the situations. God is a God of clarity, not of confusion. He's a God of unity, not division. So we carry the story forward, Nehemiah, this is verse 17, who uh, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had a sword strapped to his side when he built. So come on, church, we need to recognize that we're taking ground and it's a battle. The enemy's not going to go without a fight. When the Israels came to the promised land, there were enemies occupying the land that had to be defeated. Yeah, 
But greater is He that is in me and in you than He is in this world. Let me tell you the size of the wall. Do you want to know how what they did, what they accomplished, as they built with one hand, with a trowel and had a sword in the other, <laughs> prepared to push back and take the ground the enemies? It's not going to go without a fight. But this is what they did. I'm going to read to you. The length of the wall is just over four kilometers, 4.018 to be precise, four kilometers. The average height of the wall was 12 meters. The average thickness of the wall was two and a half meters. The wall contained 34 watchtowers, seven main gates, two minor gates. That's a significant undertaking. One more verse for you, Nehemiah 6 to 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. This amazing feat, a four kilometer, 12 foot, two and a half foot wall with watchtowers and gates in the whole nine yards, built with perfumers and goldsmiths and all sorts of people, everyone getting involved, caught the vision rebuilt in 52 days. Isn't that crazy? The power of vision shared is incredible. Come on, the enemy does not want the kingdom of God to advance. He would rather us talk about vision than activate vision. The enemy does not want you to support the vision. He would be okay if you were just talking about the vision. He's happy with talk and rhetoric, but not action. But we have the means to put fuel into the vehicle of this vision and to contribute to its momentum. What God's put on your life is going to help what God's called this church to be come to pass. You're here for a reason. So this is the question I want to propose and I want you to ponder it. It'll be a great, a great, a great question to roll around crews. Are you ready for my question? What would C3 look like in a year from now if it was up to me? What would this church look like a year from today when we're about to break for 2022 Christmas? Feels weird saying it. What would C3 look like a year from today if it was up to me? What's the vision that you've got for this place? It's a great question, eh? 